Welcome to the fourth episode of The Hashishin. I'm your host, Shirag Mamir. Today I'm excited to have Lewis from Field Extracts with me. You can follow him on Instagram at Fergasaurus710. I'll spell that out. That's F-E-R-G-A-S-A-U-R-U-S 710. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. So let me start by asking you, I've been wondering if you are local to Northern California. Yeah, I uh, grew up in California, kind of. I was born and raised in Hayward, and then I moved to Colorado, and then I just recently moved back to the Bay Area, and now I reside in Oakland, okay. downtown specifically. Cool. Yeah. And part of the reason I was asking is because, you know, one of the things I do for these interviews is I go back and look through people's accounts and yep. just kind of see. Obviously, I follow people, but I don't see every single thing people have posted. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I found really kind of funny and, and interesting on your page was that you're one of the guys who have seen try more water hash from a lot of Northern California companies throughout yeah. the last maybe like five or six years. Yeah, yeah. So you, I think above everything, you're kind of like a hash connoisseur in, in the sense that you're, you're out there, you're trying everything. Can you talk about maybe some of your faves, maybe top five? Yeah, yeah. So... I mean, above all, I definitely am a connoisseur, aside from, like, making my own product. I obviously like seeing, like, other people's or, like, my homies' brands, what they're doing, flavors that they're running, things that we don't have as a company. So it's always good to, you know, stick your feet in other water that you, you're not used to every once in a while. GMO is a big thing that I really like right now. And Full Flavor, he's done a, a great a great GMO run, um, Hash or Live Rosin. Um, they're both phenomenal. He's been like a definitely one of my favorite brands since I started smoking any type of solventless. And his banana OG specifically, like above all anything else that he runs, it's like been the most consistent extract I can honestly say I've ever smoked. Recently, like I've tried resin ranch extractions, I've tried real deal resin, I've tried to I definitely try to go with like the newer brands and just see like how people are doing and how their processes are different from other people's. And it's cool because especially trying other people's product. They have different cuts. They have different, you know, they're running different material. They're doing different stuff. Maybe they press differently or they're mixing different microns. So it's good to get your sense, especially flavor-wise, from that. Like, I I really appreciate when people just do different stuff. And when people are doing different things and what you're doing and and stuff that you're not used to, it's cool to to experience that, especially in people's hard work. You know what I mean? Going back to, like, who my favorite brands are, though. I definitely like Cool Flavor. He's he's definitely been a big one of mine. And um, he's also uh, I don't I've seen the brand. I probably I think I've even tried some yeah. of their product, but I don't know exactly. Uh, they're based out of Northern California. Yeah, they're Northern California. He's I believe is more north than Sac. So he's he's up in I don't know to be specific yeah. where he's at, but um, you know, I definitely know he's like more more north. But no, he yeah, he does great work. And I remember picking up his product like in the Bay Area and the whole nine like years ago. Like I said, when, when Yeah, they've been around for a while. Yeah, when two fifteen was still going on. Especially from yeah, just like local dispensaries and stuff like that. He was definitely in, in big name dispensaries, that's for sure. Yeah. His product was always there. So that was cool. Especially to get your hands on it. It's through Instagram, you know, like drops are coming and stuff like that. So it's always cool to know that a spot has what you want, you know. Yeah, that is one of the things that I think is kind of improving over time, people keeping up menus and people keeping menus that are up to date. I know it's maybe kind of a little difficult, but yeah. with everything being computerized now, it shouldn't be, no, shouldn't be that difficult. You, you know? see someone like making it, you know how long it takes. 
you know that they're pressing it, you know that they're jarring it, you know what I'm saying? And then like, boom, it's on the market already. So yeah, good. and I think some people do obviously a better job than others yeah. with that, you know. Definitely, and then their resources for sure. Yeah, a few other companies that you wanted to mention. So Full Flag was a big one of mine. Shit, who else? Do I like Real Deal, Resin Ranch, American River is really good too. I just uh, recently tried some of their stuff. Um, shout out those guys. What else? Who else do I like? I don't know. Wook Sauce Winery is always good. Um, Ati, props to Ati. Like all his stuff is phenomenal. The Sebastopol Sours, um, phenomenal. The Zookies or Dookies or whatever it is. Yeah, somebody I haven't been able to try yet, but it's it's definitely on my to do list for sure. I especially am looking forward to. I think he has. Some kind of Durban. Yep. Yeah, the Durban shirt, the, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, Durban shirt yep. from, you know, the Emerald Cup yep. genetic line, I think. And yep. I'm a big fan of any kind of Durban yeah. lineage usually. So. Hell yeah. Um, no, and, um, I mean, I've smoked, because I'm, I mean, I grew up in Colorado, so I know a couple of Colorado companies. I'm smoking on like Dab Logic and Proper and a couple of my buddies out there, the Astronauts, Rosin Only. I was able to smoke on his stuff uh, during Emerald Cup this last, this last time, 2018 which was nice because he does a really good indoor Gorilla Glue, and I, I was able to get some of his 90U 6-star. Who is this again? Rosin, um, rosin Only. Rosin and then only. Um, gets, he's the one who grows it, and then uh, he gets his product processed through the Astronauts. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with them. Yeah, yeah, and they're based out of Denver, and they do they do phenomenal work. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen some of their stuff online, and it looks really good. No, it's, it's good stuff. I, was, I mean, I was blessed to be able to try it, honestly, because he was coming out here for like a super short trip, and we had talked prior to that, so it was cool that we were able to link up during during the World Cup. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I kind of am getting from like talking to you for a little bit earlier is that you're pretty like savvy with social media, and so can you tell me about maybe some of like the relationships you've made through that definitely. directly related through maybe with Hash or definitely. So social media, I mean, it's definitely like a bigger thing nowadays. It's totally easy to like reach out to somebody and like ask for information or, you know, ask a question or, you know, whatever you need to do. I've definitely formed great relationships through social media. Uh, I've formed hash relationships through social media. I've been able to like session with my homies who are far away that I can't on a daily basis be able to try other product via social media. You know what I'm saying? Knowing when people are like coming through the area or you're going to be somewhere and able to trade or whatever it may be. And then even just like buddies who now are like my good friends who I hang out with and are friends with my girlfriend or, you know, vice versa, we're friends with their wives or girlfriends and, and stuff like that. So it's cool. I think it's a great tool. I think it's it's easy definitely to like reach out and then just, you know, not necessarily understand who someone is, but get to know who someone is and, and further that, I guess, in a, in a sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. So it's cool. So you mentioned that you lived in, in Colorado and is that... I guess where you started trying different types of hash or? Yeah. So I lived out there from eight to 17 and I would say my first time like trying hash. I mean, obviously like dispensaries were out there and stuff like that. So we were able to get hash from dispensaries. It wasn't anything like any six star, anything like meltable or anything like that. Just like bowl toppers or we're putting in joints and, and stuff like that. But the first time, like any time like I actually tried making hash was in my basement when I was probably like 14. And we made it out of Keith. And we had like an ironing board and an iron and newspaper and parchment paper. And we just tried to melt the Keith together pretty much with the, with the iron. And we were sprinkling water on the newspaper and, and just trying to melt it down. And I don't even honestly remember where I read to do that at, but it worked. It honestly worked. And like, we were literally doing it like midday in my basement in my room, which is probably like the dumbest thing to do ever. 
with my parents upstairs, obviously. But yeah, like that was like my first like time trial, I guess, of, of actually trying to do that. Aside from like buying it from somebody who could get it from a dispensary. Yeah, that's really funny because I, <laughs> I remember seeing that technique around on the internet, you yeah. know, and so it's just comical to think about, like, yeah, Especially that wasn't that long ago, you know, no. it, like, it really wasn't that long ago, <laughs> and so things have come kind of a long way in a short time, Definitely. I feel like, um, within the kind of hash world, and, you know, going from, like you, like you said, you know, bowl toppers, or yeah. almost more like... Keith, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know if they were actually washing them cereal back then, or, mm-hmm. but you know, what would you say are like some of the biggest changes that have happened from that time until now, which have been, let's say, what five, eight years or something like that? Like, yeah, almost ten years. I'd say ten years. Okay, ten years plus. No, ten years, ten years. Like fourteen. I'm twenty-four now, so yeah, ten years. Honestly, like just quality. Like you see quality, you see companies who have like a lot better product, obviously than what you were like used to. And then and by that, do you mean that they're just producing better resin? Yes. Yes. They're producing better resin and probably the resin quality is becoming better. You know, you start learning to wash indoor at certain times or outdoor at certain times or different microns and whatnot opposed to like, yeah, because the hash we were getting from the dispensary was like that brown, like bubble hash, you know, but nowadays you have like your six star meltable unicorn tier hash, you know, from 90 and 120 or even 150 and 180 that I've seen. But the quality definitely is what I've seen change more so in the last couple of years than anything. So, you know, I, I guess what I wonder about that is, I mean, back then there has to be people that were growing some pretty good herb. Yeah. But what seems to be the case in a way from kind of talking to different people mm-hmm. is that the genetics are becoming more suitable to like being processed. Into hash. Into hash. Into, res- into live rosin. So on, so forth. You know, so some of these particular genetics are, are producing enough hash for people to want to use it to actually make water hash from, yeah. Yeah. instead of you know getting a tiny yield or or no yield or yeah or whatever. And so, do you feel genetics have played a big role in that as well? Definitely. I mean, like, why would you want to run something, especially if you're a hash maker or hash grower, or you know, you're growing for hash? or growing for resin, you know, why would you want to grow something that you knew wasn't going to produce what you wanted in terms of yield wise, in terms of what you like to smoke, like anything, right? If you're not hitting that 4%, 5% mark, like in your short, you're short of like 1%, why are you going to continue to grow that? You know? So that's why like, I big ups to people who like pick selectively and they know that they're growing for resin, for live rosin. They know that their yields are going to become so big or so small with how they you know, chop their crop and whatever. So it's like that a big ups to those people because that's like, that takes a lot, especially like the single source farmers who do that kind of stuff. Like I've never done that personally before, but people who like know when to chop and know when to wash and know how to do that whole, that whole process. That takes a lot, honestly. Yeah. yeah I mean, from everybody that either I've talked to that's doing it mm-hmm. or talked to that knows somebody that's doing a single source, mm-hmm. it's tough work, you know, whether, whether it's on a farm or, you're doing it all indoors. Yep. It's there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. You know. So yeah, definitely. That's uh Especially like I said, like selecting like what you want, like that takes time. Or collecting those genetic, like that takes time. Then you gotta veg, you gotta cut clones, you gotta fill the whole room or fill the whole hoop or whatever. And like that takes time. So it's like for you to selectively know like what's gonna dump, what's gonna hit those numbers for you, especially in the bags and after squishing, 
Yeah, as a yeah. farmer, that's what you need to know before you start dabbling into any type of solventless production, whatever, or in at all. Yeah, it's it definitely takes sacrifice. You know, I've talked to this with a, about with a few other people, but yeah, I mean, in a way, like you said, it takes time, but it takes resources. Yeah, and you know, that funny enough kind of leads me to asking you about uh, the GMO because yeah. <laughs> right now, you know, on at least through social media, it almost seems like there's not anybody who is not either running the GMO, has yeah. ran the GMO, is going to run the GMO. Yeah. Um, is getting the GMO. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit, do you know what the GMO is? So I believe, so Skunk Master Flex, I believe he's an East Coast guy, if I remember correctly. I forget who the actual breeder of the GMO is, but he was the one who found it in a seed pack, I believe, of a form-cut Girl Scout to a uh, Kennedy. Personally, it's become one of my favorites since I've been able to get it over here on the West Coast in any form. Flour, rosin, hash, it honestly doesn't matter because it's so fire. I'm a big fan of ChemD all around. Big up to Kendall Glass for, for that one. But anything that ChemD, I feel like, touches, especially with that Girl Scout, it just made it that much more better, um, personally. It smells like sweaty, you know, laundry bag from the gym, and it's just like in the best ways possible. You know, and it packs a punch too. Like I love that shit. Like I said, no matter no matter what the form, and it's yeah. Anybody who out there is running GMO, up to them because I heard it's a dumper, and I wish I could get my hands on it. <laughs> I'm sure you will soon, you know. But yeah, it's that's the main thing I hear from hash makers. It's just like it lets go a lot of resin. Yep. And I mean, obviously, you know, that's good for everybody. It's stanky. It's stanky too. That's yeah. The that's like the best part. <laughs> I like that kind of that funk. You know, like you were saying, kind of that weird gym sway shoe sock, like whatever it is, like it's just like nasty. But you're like, all right, like I'm down, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard it's like you said, it's also pretty strong. So yeah, it's funny. It just it's everywhere. But you know, kind of going back to you know going from bowl toppers to to starting to get better product. Was that when you moved to California yeah. or? Was there something in Colorado at that point that was... Not at that point, because we, at that time, like I didn't know about all, quote, quote, like, fire. And what, year, what year is this? When did I move back? I moved, I want to say this would be, like, my ninth year back. Or, no, I moved out here, back out when I was, like, 18, so what is that? My sixth year? Yeah, this would be my seventh year. My seventh year back. And even then, like, when I moved back, I still was smoking, like, that bubble ash. You know, like, you would get um, at the dispensary for, like, 10, 20 bucks a grand. And I honestly didn't even start smoking like good bubble or water hash up until like, shit, I was like 18, maybe, or maybe like 19, 18 or 19. And the first time I ever bought bubble hash was from Grease Smoky Bubble from Irie Care Collective. And I honestly had no idea what to do with it. I swear, because I tried to like chunk it and put it on. I had an email at the time. So I'm just putting it on the email and like totally charring it. It's like way hotter than it needs to be. Like it's greased at that point. So... I'm like, well, whatever. I was trying to get rid of it, even though I spent, you know, hell of money on it at the time. But so did you, I mean, <laughs> did you not know what you were getting or you just like, we're going to try something new? And I think a little bit of both, but I just didn't know what to do with what I had that was new. That was the only thing. Yeah. I didn't know about pressing it at the time. I didn't know about, you know, low temp dabs or, or any of that stuff. I mean, I had a little email that I was using on my rig that I had taking them at like, 540 or whatever it was you know i probably should have went way lower for that for the water ash so it was just like different and then i remember getting stuff from like 
third gen fam and like Skittles and stuff like that from different dispensaries. And then just like continuing to get Grease Monkey Bubble and nothing but net and full flavor and all different stuff. I tried Cuban a couple times. I was able to. That was actually really cool. Getting stuff from Cali Sifco, like a bunch of different stuff. So it was cool um, to just try those flavors and like actually try to start understanding what Solomon's was at that point, especially like the water ash, because I wasn't accustomed to it at, at any point, especially not pressing um, into, into like parchment paper, stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I made this pretty extensive list of all these companies that you tried. Yeah. I'm sure I'm missing some, but yeah, I mean, you know, I was asking you earlier, it seems like some of the brands that were around a few years ago, maybe some, even like the smaller ones, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, I don't know if maybe Prop 64 has to do with this or not, but seems like a lot of people are have either dropped off or, or stopped doing it. And yeah. obviously there's a bunch of them that still are doing it. You yeah. Know? I mean, some of them definitely are still doing it in like a sense. I don't know how big or, or how, like what scale they're continuing to do it at, but you still see them around from time to time. People still who even haven't let 64 stop them, 65, whatever it is, 64, they still are pumping out fire. They're continuing to do their thing regardless of what market because there's a demand for their product because they know that they're pumping out fire. And I respect that, honestly. Like, that's when you know you have a great product. It's because you're continuing to do your thing regardless of what the legal sense is. But you, as a, as a producer, know that you have something that people want. So that, and you're going to provide that to them because you know that they're going to buy it. So Yeah. And I guess having tried a lot of these different things, and especially now, you know, obviously working mm-hmm. with Field, you're doing kind of their, their solventness. Yeah, or part of their solventness division. Mm-hmm. Would you say Northern California to you is almost like the the epicenter of what bubble hash in a way became or has been elevated into? Definitely, and I, again, I think it all starts with starting material. So people who know, like especially in the region, that they're growing fire starting material, or you know, single source farmers who can watch all of their resin and know when to pull, like that's. Yeah, and we do the best job up here in Northern California growing indoor, outdoor. Like it really doesn't matter. People know what they're doing, so obviously they're they're going to turn that into a further fire product that they know people are going to want. Yeah, I mean it's definitely been part of the culture here for a long time, you know. But it's just so kind of curious to me that the bubble scene also, or you know, the water hashing really, mm-hmm. I feel kind of was it kind of took off from here, yeah. you know. And I was talking to. Ozzy or the Cuban grower the other day and he was talking a lot about Brandon from third gen mm. and kind of how they're, you know, rooted in, in the Mendo yep. scene and culture. And, you know, they, they're one of those guys that, you know, are, are taking tons of Emerald cups yep. and all kinds of divisions, you know, yeah, yeah. rosin or rosin, water ash. Water ash doesn't matter. Yeah. And so, you know, on that note, I wanted to congratulate you and the rest of the field team for taking the first place at the Emerald Cup yes, with the Straight Organics Papaya. Yes, the 120. The 120U? Yeah, the 120 micro. Yep. Yeah, that one. And then we did a couple other ones. I don't remember off the top of my head in the uh, rosin category too. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. And then we took first place in our softens. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I, you were very gracious and kind of located some of this papaya <laughs> that I got to try a little earlier. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It's pretty good, man. I mean, it's very flavorful. Um, it has a that 
It's a real like pungent. Yep. No props to fucking props to Strider again for that one. He did an awesome job on the starting material. I mean that one was like a dumper, no doubt, in the one twenty and the ninety. And I like thoroughly enjoyed watching that because it was like weeks at a time that we had to watch that material, and it was it, it was a sight to see every day. Just seeing those bags just full of resin, it was great, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was telling you earlier, a buddy and I have wanted to try some straight organics mm-hmm. for quite a few years now. We just, you know, for whatever reasons, it hasn't worked out. But um, yeah. yeah, it was fire, man. Oh, yeah. So, and then that same hash, I guess, took second place at Legends. Yeah, Legends of Hash out there in Barcelona this, like, what, two weeks ago, last week, during the whole span of this week. And we were able to enter that. And um, yeah, took second place. Big stuff. With, with an actual hash too which I I just want to put that out there with an actual hash <laughs> yeah there's been there's a little there's been a little controversy amongst everybody that I've talked to on this little uh, yeah. NorCal trip that I've done about that and you know it's it's all about like whether that should be considered you know hash or not yeah. Um, but yeah but the other thing I, I thought was kind of funny was and I told you this earlier is the color on this papaya mm-hmm. is it's a darker resin. It's a little darker, for sure. You know, and I have nothing against different colored resin, mm-hmm. you know, so I I just enjoy it for that, that smell and that taste and, and that effect. But I know a lot of people are kind of put off by that a little. So it was interesting that, you know, a resin, even with some color to it, was able to win these two pretty prestigious awards. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure, too, like, it, it probably wasn't as brief at the time. I'm sure we... <laughs> yeah, we, that's know, the other thing, yeah. No, nah, yeah. If it was more controlled, it'd no, probably stay a little wider. No, absolutely. But I'm sure at Legends, it was probably greased at that point. You know, there's nothing you could do about that one. I saw an image on their account, and it looked pretty pretty greased at that greased, point, yeah, you know? Same. So, but greased or not, it's... That's, that, I mean, when you can whip the hash jar, like I've seen people do recently, like, that that, that looks good, you know? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and so, how did you first get invo- involved with Field? I just, well, so I had lost my job at that time and then I just reached out to field and then started working there as a packager, packaging live resin, live rosin, uh, water ash. I'm not sure if we were packaging saucepans at that time, but I was just doing different stuff and then the team got bigger. So the team got bigger and then we started expanding. They needed more help upstairs. At the time I was starting to like sift freeze dryers and stuff like that. Once the guys upstairs were done washing label the jars, put them in the freezers, prep them, you know, write down information, all that kind of stuff, put them in production logs, whatever. And then they needed, like, help washing. They needed more washers, so I went upstairs in the, in the cold room. We had a, a huge refrigerator-type unit and just started, yeah, just started washing from there. I mean, I already knew how to work the freeze dryers at that point, so it was just, like, you'd making the material would actually put in the freeze dryers at that point. And then, yeah, I've just been with them ever since. Cool. So a few questions. One... Who taught you how to use the freeze dryers? At the time, his name was JD. JD told me how to use the freeze dryer. All like the settings and whatnot. I mean, I've definitely like read the manual and like tried to understand other techniques and like look at other people, how they use it or ask other hash makers the questions on it that maybe I can't answer myself or that I just kind of need like hands-on learning with opposed to like actually reading it and not in a book and not getting a response back. It's kind of cool to have somebody to like tell you why something is a certain way or why something does this or that. So yeah, that, that answers your question. JD told me that. Yeah, no, uh, that's cool. And I ask you because free dryers are kind of, can be a controversial topic sometimes, Mm -hmm. but in this case where it's, you know, really a commercial scale operation, 
I could see how free stryers are just the way to go. Yeah. You know, at one point, I mean, we had like what eight of them running at one time. Just yeah, like, and that's a lot of. I mean, that's of, a lot of full of trash. trash. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you got to get it done. So, <laughs> but so okay, and at that point, how many people were watching when you, you know, added yourself to that team? At that point, it was three of us, and then. It continued to be three of us, yeah. But just two washers had, had switched like positions, I guess. Because we got a new washer, and then one washer had started doing other work elsewhere in the facility. And then we continued to have three washers. But then one of us, he technically was like our productions manager. So then there was only like two of us technically doing washes uh, a day. I see. Yeah. And I'm sure it varies, but typically how much material are you running through a day per person? Per person, I do a 10-pound wash roughly every time. So it's like 4,500 grams. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's exactly 4,500 grams, give or take, just however much I do. So I'll run through a 20-pound wash, hopefully a day, just by myself, on top of like whatever other work that I need to get done. And what would be some of the other things that you would need, I guess, to get done? To be honest, I mean, this is kind of just my opinion. I feel like making hash is like 80 to 90% clean. Like I'm honestly just cleaning cleaning, 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 like isoing everything, cleaning everything, making sure everything is like as clean as the hospital. Like, cause if your product, if your product isn't being worked with instruments or tools that are dirty, your product is dirty. Right. So I honestly feel like, yeah, I spend like most of my time just like cleaning, cleaning bags, cleaning trash cans, cleaning pumps, cleaning anything. Like I'm like cleaning sinks, mason jars, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like you just have to clean it all aside from, you know, Loading freeze dryers, cleaning freeze dryers, like doing, making trays, making jars, put product in, like the whole nine yards. Just cleaning is like the number one, I feel like, priority, aside from actually making the ash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had thought about asking you basically how you kept the lab clean, but that, you know, that answers are pretty. Yeah. No. So you spend most of your time making sure everything is. Like, literally, I'm sitting there scrubbing the ice extract bags with like ISO and a toothbrush in like the crevices just to make sure like no gunk gets there and no like chunky hash gets left over because if like, you know, mold or microbes are being collected on there or like something happened from a previous crop from somebody else and now you're washing somebody else's product, like that could ruin. You know, oh, yeah, cross contamination. Cross contamination, exactly. Like, you know all about that. Like it's it's all bad. So yeah, I definitely try to just like clean everything like as thoroughly as possible. I try to ISO. I'd probably go through the most ISO in the whole facility, honestly. Um, <laughs> just like gallons of it. Like I'm going through spray bottles like a day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's probably <laughs> it's probably like the thing to do to keep everything as clean as it needs to be. You yeah. know, I've heard Nikati talk about cleanliness before, yep. and you know he. He's really not only big on it, but, you know, it's almost like you need to be compulsive about yeah. making sure that everything is yep. is up to standards. Definitely taking like time, extra time out of your day, like knowing that you're going to be doing more cleaning or like extra cleaning or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then with the material, is it always frozen? Yes. Always. We don't get any like fresh, right off the vine, anything like it's always fresh frozen. But yeah, no like dry material ever. So have you ever washed dry material yourself? Outside of, I guess, working with field or no. So fresh frozen. Fresh frozen is the only product that I've ever touched. Yeah. So you're in there washing, you know, outside of cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> um, and which I still do. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I, I still wash a little. I still wash a little bit, but. Well, I mean, what you say? Ten, ten thousand. No, it's uh, forty-five hundred grams. Forty-five hundred grams. Yeah, time, ten pounds. Yeah, ten pounds. 10 That's pounds. what it was. 
that's still a lot, man. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's per person. So yeah. if there was two or three of you at the same time, that's a lot of product. You're doing a lot of washes, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I even see out there people on like Instagram, like one person's doing two washes at a time. If I was that big and I had like big enough, like upper body, like muscle strength, I would totally do that. You know what I mean? But I, I just can't, I can't do that. I'm not that big. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, and that's another thing that I hear from people that are making ashes, just that it's a, it's a physical thing, man. Oh yeah. You know, um, no it's not, yeah. I mean, if you're doing like maybe a personal wash and you're doing one or two washes here or there, it's one mm-hmm. thing, but when you're you're doing this every day, five days, six days a week. Yeah. That's a lot different. You know, so does does it take a toll on you at some points? I mean, I definitely get, I, after like a two days or like a day of doing two washes, I feel it at the end of the day, no doubt. Just because like me continuously like having to stir and then all of like the other, I mean, not, I wouldn't say like physical labor, but like just running around pretty much just from, you know, the cold room to the freeze dryer to the sink and, and washing everything and, and, you know, going back. It's definitely like a lot of physical labor for sure. And we hand wash everything. We don't use any washing machines or anything like that. I technically have only used a washing machine one time in my life. Don't even know how to use it now. So even if you gave me one, I couldn't use it. But no, I hand wash everything with like a, you know, uh, whatever you call it, uh, food grade, like a stainless steel paddle. It's like, okay. a, it's like a mixer. It's like a, like people would use for like cooking or something like that. Right. Um, it's huge. It's like four feet long. That's just what I used to to stir stir the pot. You know what I'm saying? And it's definitely yeah, it's definitely physical. Cause like I'll come home and like I'll be beat after work. Like I don't want to do anything, you know, or just chill or smoke my product or somebody else's product or whatever. But yeah, definitely a lot of physical labor involved. Yeah, and I mean you are you know a relatively young guy. Yeah, you know, so if you're feeling it, I'm sure somebody else is you know would be older would be feeling it even more. Definitely. So yeah, it's definitely not not a trade for somebody that can for the weary. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And you were saying earlier you you aren't really necessarily involved right now with the processes after washing. It's you're mostly concentrated. Yeah, on no, I, I just mostly focus on washing. I haven't started squishing for field or been involved in like any of that process. Just because washing was like my main focus at the time. Now we just recently got a new new setup, so I did, I'm going to get um, trained on that or continue to work with that, and then get pumping out product here hopefully soon cool i mean i definitely know how to squish like i've squished before and i've built my own rosin presses and stuff like that i've just never squished like with fields product on their press and done stuff for work i guess right yeah yeah it'll be a little different and you you were telling me it's the the, the pure pressure. press the yeah, pure we, pressure yeah, we use a uh, pike speed the pure pressure and the pure pressure again i was talking to ozzy just about it a little bit and he was saying you know there's a lot of almost automation that can be built into it. Mm-hmm. And so that hopefully will make things easier. Definitely. You know, when you're processing that much stuff. Yeah. No, especially like you were saying, like the automation, I know they have like recipes, quote, quote, that you can punch into like the interface and it like set a certain temperature and the speed and the time and, and the PSI, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, if you're squishing a lot of product that you know you're going to be doing for a, for a while, um, and you don't want to continue to have to find that sweet spot on the press, you know that that recipe is going to be there. So you could continuously go back to that after that bag is set in the parchment and ready to be squished. Boom. It's like a microwave. You hit your button, set it, forget it kind of thing, which is cool. Like def- they definitely make that like easier for, for the rods and squishers for sure. Yeah. And the plates have like sensors on them and yeah. all kinds of yeah, no, they're bad uh, high-tech they're bad stuff ass. on it. 
And you can like rotate it too. Like you can lay it down if you wanted to do like the drip tech or whatever, or you can stand it up and, and have it flow naturally. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the rosin stuff gets more and more high tech, yep. but the hash making is still pretty low tech in the sense that, you know, barrel and barrel and ice and water and <laughs> a paddle. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned that you guys use the ice extract bags as well. Yeah. We use, a, uh, we use all extract bags. That's the 20 gallon sets. That's as big as they get. Yeah. I think they have a 20 gallon, 10 gallon, like a five gallon. Yeah. Don't yeah. Me. Like a personal type, personal type thing. Yeah. Yeah. We use those bad boys. We've yeah, a lot of the people that I've spoken to do. Well, we, I mean, are they just durable bags? They're durable bags. I'm pretty sure what they, I mean, I'm pretty sure Ice Extract and Bugatti Extracts are like the same people. And I know Bugatti Extracts won whatever high times or whatever awards. I think they won the ego, the first Ego something, Clash or something like that. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And like they're the creators of the Ice Extract bags. So obviously like you know the person who's, making the hash and making the bags is going to make like the best hopeful product possible. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. And so, uh, no, they, they're, they're awesome. Like I haven't had any rip. I see people or heard of people like having a bag rip. I think one time maybe, but I've never had a bag rip. Thanks well, and I mean, obviously you're using them. Yeah. Daily. A good amount. Yeah. You know, fine. so they're, they're taking that. And then would you say as clean as you are, they have a, a shelf life or, Mm, I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I guess the only thing I would say like the shelf life would be, would be the threads. Threads is probably the biggest part because if they start like flaring and stuff like that, you, you like pull one, it's over. Especially like if your hash bag has a hole in it, you're done from there. You know, because once you're spraying your water over your hash, it's just going to go right through that hole. You push go it to the in. next micron, it's like, well, what's the point at that point? You got to buy a new set or buy a single bag. And I don't even think they sell single bags or individual bags. So, specific microns that's just yeah you're kind of slo at that point <laughs> <laughs> speaking about microns how many what's a six eight bag setup what are you guys running so we get the eight bag set but we only use seven bags yeah i only use i only use seven bags okay yeah i did think about that for a second <laughs> and then what do you start with and what do you end with i start with the 40 and i end with the 220 okay yeah and then everything in there is a little sugar and spice and everything else. <laughs> and no. <laughs> what are you keeping out of that as hash? What are you keeping to do, you know, other other processes? Consistencies with or so, textures with? So the ninety and the one twenty obviously are the most sought after, but regardless of what I'm washing, I always split up the micron at all times. So I'll never like mix any micron together specifically just in case like we want to press something specific or have a water hash specific or, you know, those kind of, those kind of margins. So it just depends. Like, Oh yeah. If you're separating them, you know, at that point you might as well keep them separated unless there's a purpose to you putting them back together. Exactly. Especially like that's when like the whole rosin process comes into play. Like our premium, I know is the 90 to 120. And then um, that's also also used to make our jams as well, obviously, because it's from our premium product. But then we full spec everything else. Okay. Yeah. And does it always, I guess, does the 90 and the 120 always stay in, in water hash form or in the sauce form, like you said? It just depends. Or I mean, I know jams they, or? They take the premium and then turn that into jam. I see. Yeah. So we would squish the, obviously, premium 90 to 120 
into premium and then make that into jam. Okay. So yeah, because that's one of the things that I don't have like a lot of understanding about. Obviously like you see people doing a bunch of different things, Mm -hmm. but so you're saying that the different consistencies that they make, like the jams and the sauces are coming originally from making water hash to begin with. Yes. Because we will make the water hash. And then once we get that premium product, we'll turn that into another premium product to then turn that into another premium product. Right. Yeah. And then can you talk a little bit about some of the different consistencies you guys are working with? And if you can talk about a little bit about how they're made, you know, to the extent that you can. Gotcha. So obviously we work with like the 90 and the 120 water hash. We put those out from time to time when the product and the consistency is right. Obviously we want to make sure that the melt factor is there and that it's not going to be something that somebody gets and they're not going to be unpleased with. We put out rosin batter before. We put out rosin jam before. Obviously we have our premium rosin that we make into the rosin coins. Once the, like, the fresh rosin is able to be that stable and malleable to be able to make those. But technically I guess the rosin jam and the batter comes from the same process if you want to say i guess this is what you do afterwards just like a bho it just depends on what you do in the final product whether you whip it or you don't you add heat you don't you know whatever i, I mean i personally never made bho so i only know so much about it uh, especially like the whipping part and like terpenes and whatever but i guess the same process is with live rosin as well but they're still technically are considered solventless products also unless we don't add anything afterwards except for heat yeah if that, I mean, sometimes we won't even we won't even do that. So we don't add like any outside solvents to it, I guess. No butane, propane, hexane, whatever. Just merely heat, or maybe not even heat at all. Maybe like a cold cure, or just like a natural overtime separation of terps and and material, or yeah, adding heat to it. Do you feel like that's more something to almost? satisfy like a customer base that more products are having to be created from water hash and it's kind of original form or is it just kind of in the spirit of like experimenting and seeing what can be done and kind of pushing the limits Mm -hmm. i mean first and foremost like i love water hash like to the fullest extent that's honestly like one of my favorite ways to to enjoy resin is smoking dry you know smoking unadulterated heads but then again the capabilities of like what you can do with rosin, the way you can turn it into different consistencies, different textures. You can cold cure it, you know, cold cure it for two days. You can cold cure it for 10 days. You can, you know, direct pour it right into the jar. You can do multiple things to it, make it into THCA, and then you have solventless THCA. Like, So this is rosin that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've never personally done it because I, I, mean, I don't know about that whole situation. But that's how people, yeah, get like solventless diamonds or whatever and then add the solventless turp layer back onto it and you know boom there you go but um yeah no i mean it's it's cool just to see how rosin can be turned into different forms i know people definitely don't like it just because they want it to stay either in just regular rosin form or in unadulterated head form like i said and they feel like you know jam or batter or whatever is kind of maybe playing against resin in its natural form which is totally understandable but then again like i feel like you know it being progressive and like trying things new, like that's just what we have to do, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the market sets itself. So, you know, if people yeah. are interested in trying these new kind of consistencies mm-hmm. and textures and, you know, I was telling you earlier, you, you let me see some of the straight organics, papaya, mm-hmm. 
not only in the water hash 120 form like we talked about earlier but also yeah. i think that was a jam yeah right and you know it's coming from the same starting material yeah but the jam is just it's really really loud it's loud yeah and um, open that jar and you know that you know it's up <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and so you know it seems almost like it's more I don't know if concentrated is the right word, but like it's just more pungent for yeah, sure. The terps, I feel like definitely when it's turned into like a jam or a solemnist batter, it's yeah, it's way more pronounced, no doubt. I don't know why, obviously, and I know companies have done tests too about like terpene levels before and after, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, no doubt the terps are, are a lot more pronounced, a lot more satisfying, mouth watering after I guess the jam process or or the the post rosin processing, yeah. And you were mentioning earlier, you said the word premium a few times in regards to some of the products. What is kind of the breakdown on the on the kind of levels of products that the company is putting out? Or, you know, is like the premium, is that the top tier? So or? premium is our top tier. Then we just have our regular rosin. We obviously have our micron hashes. And then like if it's a jam or a batter being solved in this, obviously, it'll be labeled. Okay. Yeah. How many hours a day do you put in at work? I mean, it's regular, like, 9 to 5. Yeah. But it's obvious. I mean, I honestly go more or, like, you know, take a short lunch and just continue working or I need. Honestly, to backtrack on that whole situation, you work on the hashes schedule because, like, you can't just, like, start a wash and then go do something else or, or, you know, you, like, have to continue to do what you have to do for that time frame. So, like, I do two washes back to back and, like, I know that I need to set aside a good however much time to do that whole process and two, two times at least are the freezers always full is there always work to do yes yeah no i'm like constantly trying to battle like sifting freeze dryers as well as like getting washes done i'm not battling but like just making sure i can like do do it all because it all needs to be done obviously and you work within the solventless division of field but field is a they do multiple types of extractions. Yeah, right? we have a type 7 and a type 6 extraction. Yeah, and then we make soft pens as well. Cool. And so how many people would you say overall are part of the company? To be honest, I couldn't answer that number. I don't know. Yeah, off the top of my head, at least. Yeah, no, yeah. I just I was curious. And you were, we were talking about before off-air how the company was based, I guess, downtown San Francisco, no, was it? Close to, yeah. Yeah, and now you guys have had to move. Yeah, we just since moved to a temporary location up in Sonoma, and then we're just using a facility up here just to continue to pump out product that we can. We're obviously, I mean, I'm making ash and, and producing rosin, and then we're producing saucepans, getting live resin packaged and, um, and out and stuff like that um, for dispensaries all over California. And how many dispensaries do you think Field is in at this point? Do you know by any chance? At that point, I don't know. I know just like two of them off the top of my head I just know of um, that we're in. But I see all the time, like every day or every other day, like different people at getting different products from different dispensaries. So I guess it just depends on like where distributors actually distribute and who actually picks it up. Because it could be from, you know, Ukiah all the way down to San Diego. So it, yeah, just, it so honestly just depends. It does get down to Southern California, though. Yeah, no, that's because that's technically where like our company, quote, quote, is based out of. But just like our actual manufacturing is up here. And then how big is the solventless, I guess, division? Um, just right now it's me it's you yeah and so you're having to pretty much do everything yeah I mean I'm just 
doing what I do, I guess. I'm just doing what I know what to do, so right. I'm just kind of going with the flow because I know, I know shit's got to get done. And who taught you how to wash, I guess, at that scale? So before the guy who I was working with, J.D., he actually taught me how to, pretty much everything because like, I worked close with him. I'm, like He pretty much brought me in there as when, so I could start washing with them. But I kind of knew the whole basis of the process like prior to that just because of like prior internet knowledge and Instagram and all that kind of outside internet resources, which is kind of where I learned a lot of information from. And even to this day, still continue to learn multiple things, even daily, like honestly. Yeah. So you do keep up kind of like on what people are doing and I try to keep up what people are doing. I try to like just see how people do different things or like why things are a certain way. I definitely reach out to my other hash makers and just ask them like why certain things are a certain way or what they feel about certain things or if they would do this a certain way, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just kind of cool to have somebody who's like doing what you're actually doing, able to tell you you know, what you need to do right, what you need to do wrong, why something works a certain way. Um, it's very rewarding, especially in that information sharing sense. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a point that you kind of talked about earlier in a different way about how a social media account like an Instagram, mm-hmm. by in a way creating content for it over time, kind of gives you more credibility with people in the sense of, you know, if you're making hash all the time where you basically become a hash maker. Yeah. Other people on social media are probably more likely or more prone to, you know, actually respond to uh, questions to or, questions or, or yeah, something like that. To a reach out or whatever, maybe definitely. Um, just cause I feel like, or I hope or want to think that they like know what that's like. You know what I mean? Like you're stuck in the middle of a situation, need help or have a question or, you know what I'm saying? Or trying to find an answer. And need to reach out to somebody. And it's cool that, like, people are there to actually respond and, like, are able to, you know, give you that advice, give you that um, answer, give you whatever it may be, that help or that experience um, to people who need it. Is there anybody that kind of stands out to you that had always been, like, very helpful to you? or So the homie... Full flavor. He's helped me. I've definitely reached out to him multiple times, especially recently, about different hash processes and whatnot. Humble Organic Collective. He's also been a, a big help to me too. Um, he just recently moved back here to California, and he's doing his indoor grow. So I like have been reaching out to him, asking him different questions about stuff, especially like washing and like washroom type setups. So that that's been cool. They've been like a big help, and I know they've been doing it for a long time. Like I like I said before, been smoking full flavor stuff for like, years now. And I remember trying Humble Organic Collective's stuff like a couple years ago, too, for a while um, that I was getting from 1944 Ocean out there in San Francisco. So, I mean, I definitely respect it. And I know that they've been doing it for a long time. So I know they got the answers. <laughs> right. <laughs> At least can steer me in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. I mean, you know, yeah. that's the way to do it. Ask somebody who has the experience. And, yeah. you know, if they're willing to share that knowledge with you, then mm-hmm. that's awesome. No, Definitely. And we brought, you know, straight organics, it's come up a few times. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the other, I guess, cultivators that you've been working with through Field? So, uh, we've worked with straight organics. We've worked with Our State Flower. We've worked with Skittles. We've worked with Turpogs, which, you know, same, I guess. Who else have we worked with? Worked with a couple of other people who we never actually put out product because we didn't like reach batch limits because like it, maybe the test it was like a test wash or it didn't yield like it should have 
So even though we made it into product, it just never went out to actual production for like the um, public to consume just because it didn't hit that like mark of what it needed to be for distribution and batch sizes or testing or whatever it may be. Yeah, you told me a little bit about that earlier and it's something that I don't know anything about, Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, kind of, it's interesting that you have to have what I think earlier said maybe 50 or 500. 500. Okay. 500, yeah. So you have to have 500 units mm-hmm. of something of this particular run to get it tested then. And then on top of your 500, you still need sample like boxes. It's technically like 525 or maybe give or take. And then, yeah, somebody takes the, the lab people come in, they take their, you know, however many gram samples they need. And then you're stuck with that. Yeah, you wait till it comes back, passes, you're good to go, boom, goes out to distribution. And then at that point, all of those samples go back out to distribution. Those samples go like with people, so like, yeah, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure they have like, obviously they have like not for sale sample stickers, but they're just not allowed to, yeah, so those are like samples, I'm pretty sure for like the dispensaries, and then like the distributors and people along that chain. I see. Yeah. Just so they, they're not continuously the opening like new product to showcase, if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Since you spend so much time washing and, you know, you see work by a variety of cultivators, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of made me laugh earlier in the sense of you were saying, you know, what am I doing when I'm making hash? I'm basically just, you know, spinning somebody's work, collecting, you know, what they did. And then, mm-hmm. and so how important is it that the material that you work with is good to begin with. And then outside of that, what differences would you say you can tell between what one person or or group of people are doing in comparison to others? Gotcha. So first off, what was your first question? Uh, The first question was, so working with various cultivators and good cultivators, you know, is it easy to see the difference between, what some growers are doing opposed to to the others yes and no i guess because i mean you can definitely tell which is indoor which is outdoor or greenhouse um and then even not i guess yeah on the quality of the bud but then the quality of the resin too obviously the way that the people took care of it in terms of like prepping it as well you can tell like the difference which i appreciate that especially when it comes in properly prepped and i don't need to break down too much of like you know, hand grenade size buds or anything. But yeah, you know, you can definitely tell. You can tell who pulled at what time. And I actually was talking to one of my managers about this like a long, a long while back, just because I never had thought about it until I actually started washing. But you can tell when people pulled their plants by what bag it, the resin is collecting it, obviously, just because of how like big those trichome heads are and like how, you know, obviously the various sizes. It's just interesting to see like, you know, Obviously, with like single source farmers, them watching their plants or knowing when to pull, and opposed to like just listening to like a calendar of days that they need to, you know, get to. Like, a, you know, they're actually looking at those trichome heads and knowing when they need to be pulled at their optimal level to reach that like trichome bag or, or whatever, which I respect because that, that shit takes dedication outside, like not only just the washroom, but in the garden as well. Like, that, that takes a lot. But yeah, no, like definitely washing. You see, you see differences for sure. Quality as a bud, quality of resin. Bags getting sticky. Like sometimes there's just resin that just creases your bag. You can't even like scoop it out of the bag before it gets greasy. And I'm in like a 34 degree um, refrigerator, you know? 
And it, it's like even then I'm like washing those bags like time and time again because of how greasy and sticky they are. And like the spoon that I'm using is, is just caked with resin. It's, it's crazy. Do you think different plants do different things though? In a sense of like some of them are just going to be greasy because they're greasy? Definitely. Like anything Skittles, greasy. Greases the whole bag, I swear. Like it's, it's like literally one of the hardest things to work with. Even like when you're sieving it, it, gre- it tries to grease in the seed. Like you literally have to sieve it in a freezer because it's that greasy. And so talk to me a little bit about this, I guess, freezer unit that you're in. Mm-hmm. It, are you working in there all the time? So the fridge, yes. The freezer, no. Okay. Yeah. So what's the fridge like or the space like? Well, before at our San Francisco location, it was like an actual refrigerator unit. And it was huge. It was probably like 10 by 20, 10 by 20. And it was cold. It was like 34 degrees. I had a sink in there. It was beautiful. Floor drains, the whole nine yards. Water directly in the room. Run from RO. I don't ice maker. Like it was, it was a Bentley. Now with the lab that we're at, I just have a, just like a regular cold room. I have all my materials in there. It's pretty much like the same thing. It's not as cold, but it's, it's cold. Was the first unit built out specifically for that? Yes. Yeah. The one at, at the San Francisco lab. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But you said that in the future, there might be obviously a, a more stable situation with the location and you might get back some of that lab space that you had at the other one. Yeah. I mean, not at the San Francisco location, right. but they're, um, yeah, the company's uh, trying to make like a permanent home in Southern California, closer to the headquarters. Where that is, I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the plan, I believe. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it must be nice to have a controlled environment mm-hmm. to work with such a hard material. Yeah, no, it definitely makes it easier, especially on the hashes' sake. Because, like I said, if you're trying to get material and it's greasing when you and when you're trying to scoop it, like that's that's not good for anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One question that I've out of my mind is since you wash so much material, the material that you're washing is it always, for example, full buds? Is there at times that you're washing trim or larf? No, no trim, no larf. It's always whole plant, fresh frozen, full buds. Sometimes they're broken down, sometimes they're not. It just depends. Yeah. No but mind. the breaking down, like you said earlier, that is more from the farm, essentially, that it's coming from. Yeah, yeah, in a way, I guess just how they prepare their fresh frozen. And do you think that some of the farms aren't preparing the fresh frozen kind of in the easiest way for you guys because they don't, they're not aware of that? Or is it just something that, again, it's just more out of convenience? Mm, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I've definitely gotten like, like I said before, like hand grenade sized buds, but then I've gotten like, you know, units that are perfectly quarter nickel dime sized buds that I don't need to do anything to. Right. Except for maybe take a couple stems out and we're good to go. But I definitely I definitely try to go through the bags myself regardless every time and, and pick down big buds, get out little stems. Especially if I'm doing mixed washes, I try to make sure everything is even as possible before I even start washing. Just to make sure flavors and profiles and hash gets all mixed together properly. So by mixed washes, you're saying you're actually mixing different flavors together. Yeah, we'll put two different strains together and, and wash them together. Yeah. And then is that just something that you guys are deciding in the lab and like saying like, well, this smells pretty good and this smells pretty good. 
I mean, throw it together or kind of, yeah, either that or like a yield factor. Maybe if you want to increase the yield on something or, or just put two terpene profiles together. Definitely. Again, with me reaching out to like my hash or rosin homies, I've learned or been told, I guess that, you know, squishing two different hashes together is a little different or not different, but harder, I guess, because you can actually see the different streaks of the rosin when it comes out of the two different materials. So they feel or I feel too that washing it together first gets it, I guess, a little bit better actually mixed close to the post process where it, it's flowing together. And then you can obviously see the, the streaks, which are, you know, different. Yeah. Uh, Would you, I guess, look at it as a negative thing? What, mixing it afterwards? No, no, the streaking that would occur. Not necessarily that. It's just you could tell, like, okay, if, like, one was not as high quality as the other, you could see that when you were squishing. That's the only thing. But if I, not even necessarily, like, if the quality factor of you washing it in the um, mixed washing before, it I feel like would still be hopefully the same. I might not just depends on what you're mixing together, but I just feel like you could definitely see it more after it was, like, made into hash and then you're putting it in the rosin press. Okay. I could be wrong. Trust me. Someone if they're if they're out there and they know that answer, please let me know. But that's just what I you know. Yeah, I mean everybody's trying new stuff all the time, so yeah. I have no idea what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's you know it, the other thing I was wondering is since you're doing these whole buds kind of fresh frozen mm-hmm. and you're doing it by agitating by hand, are you working in like a butte can or any type of yeah. Plastic can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the, what, 32-gallon ones? Okay. Yeah. And you're using the 20 bags on the 32-gallon? Um, yeah. The two okay. 20 bag on top of it, yeah. All right. And then, you know, one of the things I've, I've wondered is with buds, are you breaking them down any more by hand than you're getting them from the farm, even if they're, you know, manicured pretty well at that point? No, I mean, I'll, I'll go through it. I'll, I go through every bag, personally. I look through every bag. I look through it and make sure, you know, if there's anything out of the ordinary. I mean, you could be the best farmer in the world, but you could have something wrong with one bug, right? So, I like, you got to look out for that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I pretty much, like, try to look at every bag, or every bud, excuse me, before it goes into the bag. I'm picking off stems. I'm trying to break down buds that I feel like are too big. Because you can definitely tell, like, you know, sometimes the water or the ice won't mix out a trichome that's inside deep inside of a huge bud. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, like, that's why you want to break it down a little bit more. So, that's why, like, you know, what they thought was, like, a decent-sized bud that might be, you know, like an eighth or whatever, you still would want to break down into, like, four or five little baby buds to make sure that you had full coverage of that ice and water to wash all those trichomes off, opposed to, like, where it was stuck together prior when it was a big bud where you couldn't otherwise. Yeah, and it, you know that's where my question was leading. Is essentially, I've I've always wondered when it is old plant fresh frozen, you know, breaking it down. I assume maybe leads to a tiny bit of contamination in the sense that you could have a tiny bit of stuff that breaks off it. But it's so much more valuable to do that to actually, like you said, get what's on the inside mm-hmm. and not just waste yeah. all the. Trichomes, essentially. Or the, uh, yeah, the mist-washed trichomes. Yeah. yeah. At that point, when you're breaking these buds down a little smaller, mm-hmm. after they're in the water mm-hmm. and ice, how long are you letting them soak for? To be honest, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. Okay. So I let it soak just to make sure, and then I start my wash from there. And then, typically, how long would you spend doing a wash cycle? It just depends. just depends. What are some of the factors that that depends on? Quality, 
what I'm going for. If I'm going for like, if I know something's going to dump like premium ice ash grade, I might spend for a little less. If I know it can dump like in an overall grade, I might go longer. Second washes, it just depends. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of different things that kind of will go into. Yeah. Like I know some of our cub entries, like we only spun them for like as minimal amount of time as possible. And it's like as gently as possible too. That's also a big factor, like how rough you actually are with the material that you're working with. Well, and like you said, one of the main things we said was quality. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming by that you mean that, you know, with little agitation, you're able to get a decent amount of resin off the plant Definitely. to begin with. And like not even not even just like me personally, but like I've seen people in like just videos of like literally people who are just like moving bags one, two, three, couple times, whatever, and just like the resin that actually dumps off of it because of the quality of like the material that they have. So it's like that is like a, as a hash maker, it's cool to see like that glittery water after a couple spins or, you know, just five, 10 minutes soaking or, or, you know, the first wash or whatever it may be like that, that real beach sand, like that's the school. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it has to be some properly grown stuff. Definitely. So even when you're pouring too, like you can see the quality, like if it's dark, if it's lighter, like, I mean, in those butte cans, like you said, it's, I mean, they're what, black or white or whatever they, you know, whatever color you get, red, blue. But yeah, like you can see, like if it's beach sand or if it's darker or if it's, you know what I'm saying? Like you, the quality definitely shines at that point. And then would you say what's done with the material afterwards has to do with some of those factors, like the color of it or? Um, definitely. Like, I mean, obviously if we get like a better ice ash grade. We're going to keep that for ice ash or keep that for the premium rosin. Um, but I mean, Usually we wouldn't run with a product that we knew wasn't going to be good. So we would do, we always do like test washes first just to make sure like we don't want to go and buy like however many hundreds or thousands of pounds or whatever to continue washing and try to like produce if we know it's not going to be up to par or if it yields or if the quality just isn't there. And so tell me a little bit about that. Like how do those work? Is it just a one-time thing? Is it multiple washes? So I guess it just depends. Sometimes it's multiple test washes. Other times it might just be a single test wash. We just do like a regular wash like I would. Spin it, put it in a food dryer, wait, and then sift it, see what the yield is. If it's what my bosses or I think is proper, then we continue rolling with it. If it's not, we just won't continue to buy any more of that material. Yeah. And uh, this, you know, might not be part necessarily of the solventless vision, but... How is it, do you know how it's decided, for example, when the material is, is purchased, like which division it goes to? Like this one is going to solventless. Nope. So you guys just get the material yep. and you do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Yep. That's pretty much like they just tell you who it's coming from or maybe, you know, I'll ask because I'm curious. You know, they'll tell us what's coming in, how much of it is, do our test washes and then just go from there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, because like I said, you obviously don't want to like put time and effort into something that you know it's not going to yield and then you don't have enough for a whole batch to go out. So right. you wouldn't want to waste your time doing that, especially with testing and how much that costs and like what they're already taking for it. Yeah. I've heard that, you know, margins are kind of slim. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough right now, I think. So you got to take the best <laughs> of what you can get. Yeah. I saw through your Instagram that the Terps army came and visited you guys for a yeah, little bit. And 
you know, I don't know much about these guys. I know that they've kind of been blowing up on social media. Yeah. They might have been around for a while. I, yeah. I wasn't aware. Um, yeah. But you guys seem to be cool with them. Can you tell me a bit about that visit and kind of what you know about them? Yeah, so um, they came in. Um, I know that, like, my bosses, the ones who don't, like, work directly with us um, up here in, in Northern California, the ones who are more, like, behind the scenes, I know they're, like, really good friends with them just via, you know, span of this and just being in the community and knowing each other, Emerald Cup, stuff like that. So I know that they had, like, come by our booth at Emerald Cup, but I didn't actually know who they were at the time. They have, like, a personal photographer, I know, uh, who was shooting, like, a video and, like, taking photos and, like, that whole night. Um, who I, once I went back and, like, saw actual, like, videos of, like, our booth and stuff like that, I finally recognized they were actually there. So that was, like, my first encounter with them, I guess. I didn't actually meet them at that time, though. But then, yeah, they came by the lab after a couple of my bosses were in town. I think it was, like, right after Emerald Cup, like, the week after Emerald Cup. And, yeah, they just came in and, like, wanted to see everything that we were doing. They were checking out the grows. They were checking out like, all of our packaging, me washing, a couple of the guys squishing. Like, they, yeah, they just checked out everything, took photos, took videos, like, the whole nine yards. And so, like, I know my bosses are really cool with them, just, like, friends-wise, too. So that was, that was like, kind of why I guess they visited, aside from, like, knowing, you know, obviously our brand and, and whatnot. So, that was cool. That was cool to beat them. Because, I, like, I never knew about them, like you said before. I didn't know about them on social media. Only clubs I knew out there in Barcelona was like the Plug and um, Strain Hunters and Bacolada and HQ and like just those couple ones. I actually didn't even know Turf's Army was a club until they came by and uh, were chilling. So yeah, yeah, and you know they they did well expanding this obviously this year. Hell yeah, themselves and you know that's kind of a interesting thing to me how and I may be wrong about this but it seems like kind of the the European culture is really embracing kind of this new generation of American hash makers and hash making yeah. and kind of shifting from, you know, the traditional like hash, which is right yeah. obviously across the water from them yeah. into this kind of new, much more refined type thing. And, and so on that note, I want to ask you, you know, what, what makes something to you be good you know like what's good hash what's good hash or what like hash or what's good rosin or just like both well you know i guess we could talk about it both ways because to me they're almost separate things you know i mean it you know one is kind of just collected and then the other one is like it's not yeah i mean you know not you know applying cold to the resin in some ways kind of changes it to some degree as well Mm -hmm. But, you know, applying heat and pressure, I think, changes it even more into something kind of on its own or yeah. kind of unique. And, and not that one necessarily is better than the other. Yeah. I just think that they're a little different. But, yeah, I mean, so what makes, if you had to say, what makes good hash for you? Um, okay, so, like, I definitely, I don't actually know if I can say I've ever dabbed, like, a 150. But I've definitely tried, like, my fair share of microns, like a 38, 70, 73, like a 90, 120. But I can't say I've dabbed a 150, which I now I need to put that on my list. Or even, like, a 150 rosin. But just melt factor. Melt factor, look, greasiness, how long it takes to grease, the color of actual resin when it comes out, like, of a freezer or refrigerator, you know. I mean, obviously, once you wait and it, it acclimates to proper, you know, jar opening time. But, um, yeah. 
I mean, if it looks good, it smells good, it presses out good, if you know, it melts good. I mean, obviously, you have to try all those things, obviously. So melt is important for Def- you. Definitely. And I've seen, it's funny that I just said that, and it's funny that you asked me that, too, because I saw recently somewhere that someone was bitching about how many Q-tips it took to wipe their nail. And some people were showing them, like, it takes them, like, one Q-tip or, like, half a Q-tip, like, three-quarters of a Q-tip or whatever. And that may be fine. But I'm, like, super OCD, so, like, I, I like, clean my cute, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I might use, like, one or two or three. It, it may, you never know, you know, you got ISO on there. I don't know if they ISO their nails and stuff like that. So that, like, plays into a factor, I feel like. But definitely, like, the cleaning process after you smoke ash is a big, yeah, indicator for sure. Aside from just, like, the actual look and quality of the resin. Yeah. So, so if you, at some point, were to combine, for example let's say five out of your seven microns mm-hmm. and you, and you dab something from that and it left something behind, but maybe either the taste or the effect was a little more pronounced. Okay. Would you take that trade off? No, because I would, no, I would, I, I don't know actually. So you you're saying like sacrifice quality for flavor, sacrifice melt, for flavor and possibly potency. I don't know. I guess that's a tough question. It is because I definitely wouldn't. I mean, to be, I don't mind a little, you know, uh, residual leftover here and there. I, I personally don't mind it um, just because I don't mind cleaning my nail. It's no, it's no big deal for me. But I can understand why some people like don't or they have like that quality or that standard of like needing that that actual like you know water water resin. So I don't know. That's a tough question. To be honest with you. Because, it, you know, the, the water house is likely always going to leave something behind, even the, the 70s, the 90s, the yeah. 120s, even, you know, yeah. some amazing 150 or something. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that's I was just wondering, you know, because, like I said, it's, it's kind of a new generation, not only of hash makers, but mm-hmm. of hash consumers. And I definitely see you as being kind of very much like part of the new generation, you know, so I'm curious, like, definitely. what you value and what's important to you. Yeah, even like rosin too. Like I gotta make sure it's like from someone who I trust or like a brand that I trust. If I know they're doing like single source or like getting it from somebody who actually does like quality growing. But even then too, like I also look after like strains. Like if someone's processing a strain that I want, like hell yeah, I'm gonna go after it or try to go after it or try to get my hands on it some way or shape or form. So that's always cool. Like the turp chase. The turp chase is always fun. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. It's kind of like old school. Uh, Dog and Bounty Hunter episode, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> hash is like everything, man. It's just like fleeting, you know? Sometimes you get some, and even when you do, it eventually will be gone, and you'll yeah. miss it. Well, dude, and like even now, there's like companies that just like pop up here and there on IG, and then like literally you'll never see it ever. You've never seen it before. You'll never be able to get your hands on it because only certain people can. And then once you do see it, it's like, you know, $20 marked up on top of whatever dude is selling it to you for from somebody who sold it to him, like, you know, two weeks ago or some shit, whatever it may be. So it just becomes harder too, especially with like, I mean, all these brands popping up and like people trying to push product. It just becomes harder for people who like actually follow and see to get their hands on it, which I guess creates that whole like supreme hype beast, like kind of hype to it you know you hype up a brand so much people want it of course you only give it to a couple people and then you charge a lot more for it so yeah yeah speaking of you know so many people popping up 
would you say the freeze dryer facilitated essentially that happening? It, it probably helped, definitely. I mean, I don't think everybody, especially who know how to use a freeze dryer, if you ask them, and I could be wrong about this, would know how to like actually microplane and then let it sit for however long and then you know know how to do that whole process afterwards or have the space to do it or have the patience to be able to sit on product like that in terms of like needing money or needing the farmer to get their product back and their money especially if you're doing splits or whatever unless you just bought the product outright so that yeah that definitely i guess would play play a factor but i mean with the freeze dryer what day two days you got product after you just washed so I mean, you can definitely turn it around a lot faster. So since you've tried so many different kinds of water hashes throughout the years and you've seen it change and stuff, would you say that, do you feel there's any difference between the end product when a freeze dryer is used as opposed to, you know, stuff that was being microplaned or being sieved or? So sometimes I do. You can definitely tell. Me and buddies have had this conversation before or people have like shared their opinion about it. I mean, stuff that I have that I've, put in the freeze dryer i've let sit out for a week and it hasn't caked there's been product that i've bought from other companies that maybe or may not have used a freeze dryer that i've let out for two days and it caked you know sometimes you have those people yeah week two weeks you just leave it out and it just doesn't cake and you just know that the quality of that resin is just is top tier at that point and that stability do you think comes from not only like growing it but then well, I guess at that point, they're not really necessarily curing it or drying it. They're just freezing it. So yeah. it all has to be from the grow. Yeah. And then outside of that, I, I also wonder if genetics play a role in that, you know, like probably maybe some of the resin is just more stable than some of the other ones. That too. I mean, I guess like the whole waxy membrane on the trichome would probably play a big role in that too, like how thick it was and then how much it actually pressed out and was going to be in your melt product or your melt flag or whatever you were going to cut from you know to to then take a dab you know how much of that i guess was left in there or how thick it was you know what i mean like the the residuals from that which could then i guess decipher the quality um or help like in that melt um melt factor but i don't especially with genetics too like i'm sure you know or people farmers would know like which one was more thicker than others or you know produce better at certain times than others and, and you know that's what they do like they know all that stuff so that's that's what i'm saying like big ups to all the farmers that know any of that and follow all that stuff because it takes a lot like that's like the biggest part of even making hash is like growing the resin to begin with <laughs> yeah yeah always props to the farmers i mean yeah you know hash makers definitely have their own skill but the farmers is where it all starts definitely definitely you know and it's sure. like some people know, too, like when to take things to a certain day length. Like I said, watching trichomes and just different strains and just working strains that they've known for years or, or months or whatever. It's just cool to see like how they like can yeah, grow for resin in, in a literal sense. And do you know at times like where this is coming from? You know, for example, like I know with Straight Organics, just because I keep up with his feed and mm-hmm. his girl from Blazing Sunshine, yep. they you know, obviously grow organically and outdoor are all the farms that you're working with either, you know, outdoor or greenhouse type farms, or are you working with people who are also growing in indoor facilities? Yeah, we work with a mixture of both. It just depends. It just depends on who we collab with at any given time. And then obviously like what kind of situation they're running or what kind of setup they have. And, you know, speaking of collaborations, I know I saw that you guys collaborated with essential extracts. Yep which is uh, Nicotese. Nicotese. And I know 
You know, I know them from Colorado. I was gonna say I forgot to mention Central Extracts. I remember smoking on that uh at Kong, the Kim D uh, a couple years back. That's that's so so far. Yeah, those guys used to process a lot of stuff out in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, and I know he's kind of making a move out west back home or, or whatnot. Yeah, but uh yeah, can you tell me anything about that collaboration or so I actually wasn't a part of the field team before that collaboration happened. So I don't know anything about what happened with that? I know it was the strawberry banana 120, and I don't know, yeah, any more extent of that of, of what happened in that situation. Gotcha. Uh, that's cool. I wish had. I did because I wish I would have met, met Nick T. I know he's like a super legendary hash maker, like you said, obviously uh, central extracts. I know he, I'm pretty sure, runs a dispensary out there too. Yeah, the he was involved with the herbal cure. The herbal cure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously OG in the game. Yeah, he's a cool guy. He actually, it's kind of a funny story. I, uh, I've been thinking about doing these, you know, interviews for a while. Mm-hmm. And about a year and a half ago, I reached out to him to do an interview, mm-hmm. and he was a super gracious guy, man. Like, just you know, at that point, I had, yeah, he had no idea who I was, but like had me over at his house, and oh, yeah. I had no other interviews to show for it or anything. And nice. um, but yeah, just didn't work out some failure with my equipment or whatever but oh, just kind of funny but yeah he's a super nice guy and like i said just oh, here you go so out of all these people that you tried Which here in there, North I, I will say for the record there's like multiple people that i did not mention yeah i'm sure because i'm I've, we've been taking dabs off so, you know. <laughs> it, it might be kind of a hard question but I'll, I'll open up to two instead of one, but the two top most underrated hash workers. Oh, shit. I feel like they're all rated in their own sense, to be honest with you. Like, nobody, nobody's underrated. They all have their own thing that they do, people that they collab with, material that they know what they work with, um, things that they, yeah, just, are, just do on their, do what works for them. You know what I'm saying? And there's even companies out there that I've never tried before, never had the pleasure of trying, but I've talked to them via social media and like knowing that I want to try their product, you know, just to support, just to see, just to be that connoisseur to want to, you know what I'm saying, experiment that much more. So yeah, I don't necessarily think that there is like an underrated hash maker. All right. Because I guess they, they, well, I mean, obviously you're going to see like, you know, your Safeway opposed to like your Whole Foods, you know what I'm saying in that sense? But I feel like everybody's still doing it, or they're continuing to learn how to do it, and just bettering their own, you know, their own skill. Definitely. Yeah. Back to the quality question: Which star system, I guess, do you do you follow, if any at all? Just the six. I don't know about the whole ten stuff, and I don't think that there is a seven star. So. Just like I don't know about seven star rosin, I don't know what that means, but I see that out there. Well, headhunters actually make a funny comment last week. I think it was, or kind of a joke about you know, I mean, really, rosin is no stars because yeah, rosin should just melt. I mean, essentially, there's nothing that shouldn't not melt. Yeah. So yeah, the only the only thing I think the star system applies to is water hash for sure. Definitely. That was kind of funny to me. Yeah, I guess, and like. You know, I don't even know necessarily where those star system come from or which people actually go for, believe in. Like, I just try to find the quality. And then again, like, nails are different. Pieces are different. Torches are different. The person who pressed it is different. 
if he rolled it out super skinny or if he's like it's still chunky and it looks like still kind of sandy or whatever i mean if you're smoking off a quave if you're smoking off you know anything like all that stuff in my opinion plays into factor and i don't think people realize that too unless obviously you're a true smoker and then you have your own nail and you become accustomed to timing all that stuff and figuring out what works best. But even then, you're taking dabs to understand a product itself, not necessarily anything other than that. Because you could dab two water hashes back-to-back on the same nail, and one melt better at a different time than the one next to it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I can get the point of, like, wanting to get the product as clean as possible and then, like... Essentially, getting the most product per weight as possible if you're getting a clean product. Definitely. But at the same time, to me, I guess the smell, the taste, and overall the effect are always going to play kind of a larger role for me in deciding, like, if I like something or not. You know. So, but yeah, if it's easier to clean up, that's that's also definitely a plus. Yeah. Which I'm sure, yeah, like there's probably fire ash out there that tastes great. It's potent as hell. Just doesn't melt too good. Maybe like a five, five and a half. Right. Which is cool. It might not be your true six star, top tier, $150 or whatever brand, you know, but it still is great, great hash. So it's funny that you brought up prices because, you know, I think it's kind of a taboo subject at, at times. Definitely. But what do you feel like is a fair price for some, what, what do you consider a six star hash? I guess it just depends. It depends on the farmer and their situation. It depends on the company and their situation. If it's a single guy and he's got five plants, eight plants, ten plants, whatever, and he's growing for one season and, like, he's just trying to get by, but he knows his resin's going to be top-tier quality and, like, that's just all he's doing that one time or that one year or that one, you know, crop or whatever, hell yeah. You know, you, you get what you pay for, Right. So if you're getting the best quality resin and they're growing organically and they're making their own compost teas and their own soil and they're, you know, going out there talking to their plants every day and, and, you know, singing to it or whatever, like that means something and that should show in the quality of obviously the resin, but then what you're paying for it. But I don't know. I guess the, it just depends. It depends on the person. I know what I personally have set for what I will pay the resin. Right. Just because I feel like I know what I should pay, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or feel like I need to pay. But then again, like, there's been times where, like, yeah, I splurge, you know? Yeah, I think we all have, you know, in, yeah. in that sense. But, and sometimes it's worth it and sometimes it's not. Yeah. Like, you know when there's, like, times where you're just like, mm, I don't think I need to smoke that right now. Or I need to have that right now or, or whatever. Right. Yeah, you can't have it all. Yeah. Um, and if we could, trust me, I'd try. <laughs> yeah, price is a funny thing. And then, you know, the other thing, obviously, is I think it has a lot to do with, like, where it's being sold. So if it's being sold in the dispensary, obviously it's going to be more than if you're getting it directly from the person from a farm at an event or, you know, I don't know how, how that all is now with the new laws or whatever, but, or how people are getting whatever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I, you know, first kind of reached out to you about doing this interview is because like I've told you, I kept up with your account for a few years and you seem to be really into a, travel, and then B, into food, or just really, you know, looking for, for different flavors. Definitely. Whether that's cannabis or food. Definitely. Can you tell me a little bit about your love of travel and food? or? Yeah. So traveling, I mean, I just got started traveling, like, more like the world, I guess, and by myself. 
in the last couple of years. I think when I turned, when I was 20, actually, that's when I really started traveling like the most. I went on like a bunch of vacations or trips, I guess, and just trying to see the world, see places that I've never been before, go places that I've never seen, and just trying to get out there and see different places, trying to go places that like people don't usually go or people aren't like accustomed to or like it's not like the norm. And then just like know everything I can about it before I get there and just go head first. <laughs> and then food obviously plays into that. Like I definitely try to eat the best possible I can in terms of like going like a farmer's market or like getting meats direct from like local butcher shops and, you know, doing research in terms of restaurants and making reservations and stuff like that. Like I'm definitely big into doing stuff like that, but I'll never forget like making cup of noodles and eating bagel bites and like, like hot pockets and toaster strudels like i love all that shit you know what i mean so i'll definitely never forget any of that stuff because you can still make all that stuff super turpy but then you can you know go and have your super fire six-star meal elsewhere too so i mean it just there's got to be a balance you know what i'm saying yeah and what are some of the places you've been to recently so what i've been to chicago philly new york i went to macau and hong kong i've been to japan south korea I went to Mexico, I went up to Seattle, yeah, went up to Vancouver. I went by myself one time, and then I went with my girlfriend recently for my birthday last year. It was a cool, like, week trip that we took up there. It was actually really fun, yeah. Cool. Of, yeah, it was one of my favorite trips, actually. It's cool. Well, we, actually, uh, we actually got to smoke up there, too, up in Canada, because one of our buddies had helped us get in contact with one of his buddies who owned a dispensary up there. So we were able to like get the hookup on like Canadian grown weed flavors that like we don't have down here in California. The red Congolese, there was like true red Congolese too. Um, yeah, they do have that up there. And yeah. It's really nice. I really like it. Yeah. It has a real pungent type. Dude, it was man, it was a treat because I really like sativas. Me too. So that's why I was like, ooh, like we gotta get some of this shit. And like I smoked the first thing in the morning, and like <laughs> it was awesome. And then just being able to try like Canadian solventless too. We bought some from Melt Season, I think it was, some Lizard Live Rosin, whatever the hell that is. And then um, our buddy, the dispensary owner, he uh, invited us back to his house, and uh, we were able to smoke on some of his like head stash too, which was super cool. And he ended up gifting us a gram of some strawberry banana. I forget who the processor was, but I mean, it was fire, honestly. Like all, all of the solvents up there was fire that I tried. But it, was, it was like a treat, especially to see it right before legalization too. Yeah, so... Yeah, that is cool. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that I've kept kind of thinking about after doing a few interviews here in, in Northern California, which is like, mm -hmm. we're coming from a very different era, and it hasn't been a very long time. Yeah. You know, it's uh, oh, really? all changing real quick, but it all came from a different mindset and a different way of life and a lot more risk. Oh, yeah. As opposed to how things are right now. And so... It's not as, like, outlaw mentality. Yeah. And it, but in a way, it still is, I guess. It can be. It can but be. there's also this, you know, like almost like a corporate yeah. aspect to it sure as well. Is. Well, you know, and that's just how things are going to have to be, I guess, kind of moving forward as yeah. long as the regulations kind of keep it that way for now. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's just kind of funny how it's all happened so quick and, and people who were coming from, you know, the black market or however open market, whatever, however you want to look at it, yeah. are transitioning into uh, a legal market. And, yeah, right. you know, that's all kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. But yeah, so what were some of the most, I guess, memorable meals that you had? Man, 
So, I mean, everywhere I go, I definitely try to plan like a like a, a memorable, you know, like end of the trip meal. You know what I mean? I was trying to get like a reservation at like a nice like Michelin star restaurant or, or a restaurant that I look up and, and, you know, know or feel like it's like the best in town or something. Try to get like a, I guess, sense of, yeah, what those people who live there, like the best of what they can offer kind of thing. So, like, anywhere I go, like, when I was in Japan, I ate at a Michelin star restaurant, Kinza Koju, I believe it was. It was a um, Kaiseki restaurant, which was actually really, really good. They, like, let me tour the kitchen, and, like, I got to meet the chef and take pictures with him, and it was super cool. But then even, like, going to San Francisco and trying different restaurants, like, hole in the walls, man, honestly. Like, that's that's where, like, some of the best food you'll ever find is at, no matter where you're at. Little stands on the side of the road. I was in Mexico City eating like tacos from little ladies with taco carts, or they have um, like this little ice cream in like these huge like uh, cauldrons, kind of. And they're rolling around with little ice carts, and they just like give you a little scoop for like you know twenty five pesos or whatever it is. I don't remember mixing flavors of like chocolate and lime and vanilla and like all this stuff. Like that's what I feel like honestly, like the really true good like hidden gems are is like those those hole in the walls. Yeah, you you also you know show your love of tacos on Dude, Instagram. Don't even get me started. I love tacos. I'm right. I'm right there with you. You know, we we share that. Uh, and you know, I I live in Texas, so we Hell have yeah. pretty good tacos over there as well. Dude, just last week, I think I ate tacos four days in a row. I, I like, and I'm I'm proud to admit that. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's uh, the kind of like guess wildest thing you've had in a taco? Shit, what is the wildest thing? Cabeza. Cabeza is cool. I don't know. I really don't like all those like weird kind of meats. <laughs> Some, sometimes I can, I can do it. Yeah. But other, other ones, I feel like they're too irony for me. Like the kidney and the liver and the, oh, yeah, and the, the lung mean. and stuff like that. That stuff, I'm, I'm cool off all that. Tongue, I'm cool off tongue. And just, yeah. Some other stuff, I'm just, I'm cool. But yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty open about a lot of things though. I like a lot of vegetables. You know, I like a lot of meats and stuff like that. I like lamb and, and goat and whatever stuff stuff like that some people don't like gaming things plus i grew up hunting too so like my family like was big into that stuff so i know about all that Um, and like other kind of meats yes so yeah tacos though man the tacos are the best i can't i can't get i can't get rid of them (laughs) yeah it's pretty simple you know usually but it's all about the flavor of of whatever's in it yeah no and there's like a couple of taco spots in downtown Oakland that we go to and we try to get to at least like on a weekly basis. It's like our treat at the end of the week. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I was saying earlier, it's like, I know you obviously love cannabis. Yeah. And you have this love for food. Yeah. You have this almost like, does that love equate each other? Is it the kind of same type of? Definitely. Like, I mean, I'm at restaurants and, you know, we're trying to take dabs before we go in. Before <laughs> we, we know we're setting like uh, time before we get to the restaurant. Extra time so we can take dabs before we go in kind of thing. You know, give us extra 30 minutes or whatever it may be. You know, yeah. Like, it definitely it definitely helps. It definitely plays along with it. Like, who doesn't want to smoke a fat joint or take a fat dab and go eat a great meal, you know? Or cook food at home. Like, I love cooking food at home, too. So, like, that's cool. Like, smoking and then whipping up stuff and following new recipes. Like, I love doing that. So, is the cannabis definitely, like, is an enhancer for you? Oh, yeah. Cannabis has been an enhancer in, like, multiple parts of my life. But for sure, with the food aspect, no doubt more creative more taste buds more terps all around like if if you're smoking good terps you're obviously going to be eating and or making good terps 
Um, so they just they go they coincide with each other and go, yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I've always saw your hashtag. I think it's uh, something like we don't just smoke our turps. Yeah, we don't just smoke our turps for sure. Because I got I got three different types of turps. I got visual turps, which is just anything you see, you know, anywhere you go. You might be standing on top of a building and see a, a sunrise or a sunset, or you might be on a bridge or at a waterfall or whatever it may be. And then yeah, you're obviously your food turps, and then your your smoking turps. So turps aren't just smokable by any sense, no doubt. <laughs> turps galore. Turps galore, and like some sometimes I gotta explain to people like what turps actually are, aside from like terpenes, you know. But then just like the the sense of the word, like, ter- that's terps, or like you know what I'm saying, like look at these terps. Or, so for somebody that doesn't that doesn't know, how would you explain that? If you if you had like a fire ass meal, that'd be turps. But if you were at like, you know, edge of the Grand Canyon watching the sunrise, like that's turps too. <laughs> or or if you're smoking like some six star or like made a cannoli out of some rosin and some hash or whatever, you know, that's turps, like for sure. <laughs> so I guess it's just however you use it with whatever you're talking about. <laughs> as long as as long as it is turps though, it can't be like uncertified turps. It's gotta be for sure certified turps. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Any place that is on your list of places to see, I guess, next or in the near future, like traveling wise. Yeah. Ooh, I, I really want to go to Austria. I want to go to Austria and I really want to go to Austin, Texas. I've never been to both, but they both fascinate me. Honestly, I'm like really big on like that whole like rustic canals and like brick buildings and like buildings kind of close together, like how Austria has kind of like that medieval rustic kind of feel. I was like, it'd be cool to like visit like the snow, like the Christmas time. And then Texas, like, or Austin specifically, the barbecue, dude. Barbecue's worth that. So, like, I definitely want to go and have, like, my fair share of, like, a barbecue uh, crawl. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, those two for sure are on my list. But, I mean, the whole world, honestly. Like, I wouldn't mind packing up and going. Yeah. No, it's cool that you, you know, like you said, some of these places, it almost seems kind of random. Yeah. You know, not necessarily places that people, like, yeah. would typically go or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I find that cool. I definitely get that a lot when people ask me like why I go to specific places, but I definitely have my reasons. So yeah. Macau and Hong Kong was kind of like a weird one, but I thought that was cool. No, no one that I ever met has ever been, so that's why I was like, gotta go. So, so do you see yourself as like, continuing to work in cannabis and maybe specifically with hash? Or I would like to, yes, and yes, I would like to continue working with cannabis. How I can further it, I don't know yet. But with the whole legalization thing, especially globally, you never know like what could happen. What South Korea just legalized cannabis. Israel's got legal cannabis. Obviously, um, Canada and Uruguay. Yeah, Uruguay. Like multiple countries and now states. Obviously, you know what? Over half the country is now legal. You know what I'm saying? You could pack up and technically do go see work anywhere. So it's like that's that's what I feel like is cannabis is like giving you that option. It's kind of like being a contractor in a way. You can go anywhere. You know you be a contractor and build whatever or or you know someone have that kind of skill have set. that kind of skill set exactly. So it's like if you've got a skill set, you've got something underneath your belt that you know what to do. Oh yeah, you could go somewhere else and help somebody else out that needs your skill set and is willing to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, because it, it was kind of fascinating that you were mentioning that. Some of the people that you've known from here have almost migrated to Spain yep. to do work out there within yep. within you know the cannabis. The cannabis industry. Yeah, no, no doubt for sure. 
And like that's that definitely is a scene that's blowing up in its own. Like I personally have never been out there. I've never like experienced that whole social club aspect or what they're doing out there from a like a hands on perspective. But just what I see, like they're definitely on game with quality of flowers, quality of resin. They know what they're doing, especially in terms of processing rosin, especially if they're winning cups, you know what I'm saying? Like they definitely know what they're doing and props to them. Because, I mean, obviously, here in California, like, we know what we're doing and, and you know, great great farmers and great resin producers and, and squishers and, and hash makers. And growers. And growers. That, yeah, no no doubt. But I guess individuals, too, no matter where you are, can be fire um, processors. Yeah, I mean, you need good genetics. Yeah. You need somebody who knows how to grow the plant well. Yeah. And then you need to have someone who can do all the aftermath. You know, which is an art in itself yeah. but you know it's something that i think with experience probably a lot of people could be able to do yeah you know yeah and so but i too i will say like it might be easy to like just be able to jump in and do but you have to love it honestly you have to love like what you're doing and if you don't love what you're doing and you don't love like the quality of you know the time it, it takes to make a good product then it's not gonna work Honestly, I agree. It's not going to work at all because, like, you could just be coming in and, and clocking in and, and, and making hash, or it would you be could, just like any other job. You just be like any other job, or even if you're a farmer at home doing it in your basement or in your garage. Like, no, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love putting that ice in that bucket. You have to love being cold. You have to love being wet. You know, you have to love smelling like fucking weed all day long <laughs> even when you leave or like you go home or you're in the store like you, you again i leave an eighth in my pocket or no it's my fucking sleeve that smells like 120 or what you know <laughs> but yeah like you you have to you have to love it you have to go home and you have to think about it and you have to you know smoke it and squish it and try it and wonder why it did this or wonder why it did that or didn't melt properly or smells a certain way or let me mix this flavor with this flavor and you know there's just so much that comes into like making hash i feel like that people would take for granted especially in terms of like being like a quality someone who is is like a connoisseur about their shit especially if they are a single source farmer like they man they're they're the biggest critique on themselves so yeah i think that's a great point that you brought up you know i mean uh you definitely have to love it for sure I don't think just anybody, like you said, or like I was saying earlier, I think most people could learn how to do it. Yeah. You know, but you teach somebody how to do it, you know, but no, being no. able to like do it day in and day out just for the sake of, of work. And yeah, I don't think it would, it would work. It wouldn't last long because it's too difficult. Of it's too work. tedious. Yeah. It's too tedious and it's too repetitive and it's too methodical. You have to continuously, you know, clean and, measure weights and log stuff. I mean, me personally, that's what I have to do. And, um, like, that, all that stuff takes time. It takes, like, knowledge and brain power. And maybe not knowledge, but, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're definitely you're definitely working. Um, working your mind, working your body. It's, like, it takes, it takes a lot. It sounds like you keep pretty busy. I mean, so. I'm, I definitely stay busy. I need help, definitely. I mean, sometimes I need help just because some, <laughs> sometimes I get weak and I can't lift the bags on so. Because sometimes you get a fat pull, and it's like, it's hard. And yeah. Well, and right now, like you said, it's only you. But yeah. hopefully, you know, at a different point, you'll have you'll have more help. No, definitely. Definitely in the future, that, that, that definitely will come. So. Well, cool. Well, look, on, just on a personal note, I want to thank you and your lady yep. for such a wonderful evening. Yep. Uh, you honestly 
ever since I reached out to you about doing your interview. You've been super cool. Oh, yeah, uh, you guys had me like over to dinner and everything and crazy amounts of awesome <laughs> resin. So I, I just want to give you both really a, a shout out and oh, yeah. say uh, thanks to both of you and, you know, taking your time to sit down with me and, and talk. Absolutely. Like I said, I appreciate you reaching out to me. It's like an honor to be even like not only on this, but like with the other people that you've asked to, to be a part of it too. Cause I know that I'm like nowhere near any of their levels or have put in any of the time that they have to be where they are in this industry. Cause obviously they were doing it before I was or doing it back in 215 and, you know, going to shops and dropping their product off and getting what they need for it because they know what they needed to have because it was just them. So so big ups to them, big ups to anybody who I mentioned, big ups to the people who I didn't mention whose product I've smoked or still smoke or will continue to smoke just because I I, I like seeing all the, the resin that's that's out there. It's definitely a treat when you get good shit. Yeah, you're still, you're still flavor chasing. Yeah, no, you got to flavor chase for sure. I mean, there's always going to be something new. So it's always, you got to be on top of that. You got to be in front of that, you know? Yeah, so. no, but that's cool, man. And, you know, I think it's, you're a humble guy and, you know, maybe you haven't been in the game as long, but you're also a young guy. Yeah. So you're pretty early on in your career and you're already doing good things. So, yeah. you know, I wish, you know, nothing but the best for you, man. Oh yeah, thank you. I do appreciate it. And honestly, like, yeah, I just I can't wait to see what the future holds. See like what we do with field, and see what I can do personally, and just you know see where the track comes taking me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Oh yeah. All right, cool. Well, Lewis from Field Extracts again. If you want to follow him on Instagram, it's at Fergasaurus seven ten. I'll let you spell it out this time, bro. F e r g a s a u r u s seven ten. Booyah. All right, thanks, Lewis. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.